My prominent amusement park story, I don't know, I don't know how many five, six, seven years ago, I, Gretchen, my oldest, was probably, what, 15 maybe? I don't know. But she wanted to go on this ride called Flight of Fear. I had no idea what the light ride was like. She's like, who am I going to go? And I said, much to my chagrin, I'll go. And I remember we were waiting in line, and they get in this roller coaster, and literally when it takes off, it was like shot out of a can, like, Phew! And I can still remember Gretchen turned to me with big eyes like, oh, no. I think she was more concerned about me. And she should have been because it took me a while to recover from that. I mean, I was probably recovering for an hour. It was just, it was one of these in the dark, inside. I don't like loop-the-loops anyway. So it was in the, you don't even know when they're coming. In the dark, loop-the-loops, upside down. And I thought they should call it the flight from hell. But that's, that was my, that was, I was just awful. It was awful. But I can still remember Gretchen, big eyes looking at me like, did you see that go? And like I said, I think she was more concerned about me than she was about herself. So anyway, uh, let's pray and we'll look into God's word this morning. God, your Holy Spirit, uh, Paul's prayer for the Ephesian believers many years ago was that the eyes of their hearts and eyes would be opened. And uh, so we pray for us in the same way. You'd open the eyes of our hearts, open up the ears of our hearts, and so that your Holy Spirit could say to us or show us whatever you want to say or whatever you want to show us, and then give us the courage and the enablement from you to do what you ask us to do. And uh, we ask this all in your name. Amen. Um, I'm going to test your memory here for a second. Put that first slide up there that has the number. This is going to be up for 10 seconds. I'm going to take it off. I want you to remember the numbers, all right? You've got 10 seconds to memorize these numbers. Okay, turn, next slide. Go to the blank slide. Uh, what is it? Very good. It's my grandparents' old phone number. All right. Next slide. Ten seconds. You've got to remember all these things in the slide. Maybe 15. Testing your memory. Okay, go black, go black. Just what do you, what, what do you remember? Trumpet. Trumpet, all right. I'm guessing, I'm guessing some of you maybe had a strategy, I don't know. Sometimes with those kind of things, people try to create a story with a strategy. The f- with the number, my guess is you had a strategy, or how do you remember, all right. So next thing, remembering. Can you remember the name of your first grade teacher? Ryan, first grade teacher. You don't remember. <laughs> It's in there, it's in there, huh? Mrs. Holloway, all right. My kids would say their mom because she homeschooled in first grade. That was easy, all right. But you're, you're, you're doing something to reach back into somewhere to get something out, and some of you have a hard time. It gets blocked, or there's all kinds of official terms for it. Uh, next one. Can you remember what Memorial Day was originally called? Anybody? You, was it, what was it? Yes, Decorations Day. Thank you, mother-in-law. Um, it was originally, now, now granted, I don't, think it was called any, I don't think it was called that for any of our lifetimes. When it was started post-Civil War, it was called Decoration Day because it was a day to decorate the graves. And some of, some of you might think, well, I didn't remember that because I was never told that, right? But memory's a funny thing with that. We, we always try to remember, and it's hard to kind of grab things out, all right? Next and last question. We won't, this is not a shout-out thing, but can you remember significant things God has done in your life? Um, 
And even when I say that question, my guess is for some of you, an event or a person or a place or a phase of life comes to mind when you're like, yeah, yeah, I know God was present and active and that person through me, that person or that situation or that place where I spent the summer or the year or whatever. So the word for the day, obviously, go to the next slide. We're talking about, uh, we're going to talk about remembering, but today it's part of a series that we started last week called Change. Uh, and you'll notice the A in, in change is the Greek word delta, which is change. That was thanks to uh, Vanessa Babcock, who suggested that to me in an email. So I made that change. But it's spiritual habits. We're talking about spiritual habits that enable us to become the life-giving people Jesus knows we can be. So spiritual disciplines, maybe you have heard it before. Uh, I'm just going to call them spiritual habits because discipline sometimes carries negative connotations with us. But, so how do we change? What's the process of change for us? becoming, this is who we are, how do we become the kind of people that what I said up there that Jesus knows we can be? And in light of that, go to the next slide. Um, these are the things, and I talked about this last week, these are the things Jesus said we could and should do. This is the kind of people we can be that naturally can be the people who love our enemies, do good to those who hate us, don't, we don't judge others, we forgive others, repent and heal the sick. Give tithe, do not be afraid, don't worry, go and be reconciled, give to those in need, engage and invite the poor, crippled, lame, and blind, and love one another. Those things, if you're human, don't come naturally. We, all, we know we're supposed to do those things. I'm supposed to forgive. I'm supposed to be generous. I'm supposed to be kind. I'm supposed to love people. I'm supposed to love my enemies. But we all know, if we're honest, those don't come naturally, and it's easy for us to turn them into just a behavior I know I should do. And we live in the world of should. I know I should. I know I should. Spiritual change is all about how does our character change? How do we do things that works with God's spirit in us so then forgiving our enemies becomes natural? Loving those who hate us becomes natural. Maybe still hard, but it's not a behavior we have to try to do. Or giving generously becomes natural. How do we become those kind of people? Because at those moments of crises, when things happen, it's hard to do it if it's simply a behavior you're trying to mimic. But if it's who you are, I mean, think about when Jesus was on the cross and he's forgiving the people who were crucifying him. How do you become that kind of person? That wasn't a behavior he was just trying, he didn't just think up there, okay, I gotta forgive them, I better say this. It was part of who he was. So how do we become those kind of people who do those kind of things? And like I've said before, if we do those kind of things naturally, we change the world. That's how you change the world, because you become people that are driven by the love and the, and the power of Jesus inside of us. So a couple things as we talk about. So we're going to be talking over the next few weeks about different habits. Um, fasting, prayer, reading your Bible, solitude, silence. And they're not simply legalistic, yeah, I better do that because I'll earn points with God. That's not what it's about. It's about doing things that put you in a situation where the Holy Spirit has access to you. We don't read the Bible or pray or fast or try to have times of quiet or solitude. We don't do that to earn points and hopefully we save our salvation. We do that because we put ourselves in a situation where the Holy Spirit has already told us from the Bible, that's where he can speak to us. Not that he can speak to us in other ways. He can, 
but it's habits we can do to do that. So go to the next slide. A couple words I'm going to highlight, and then we'll talk about. One of my favorite authors is a guy named Dallas Willard, and he talks about what, he, what I call the great gap, and I think we can all relate to this. One of his, here's the, the quote that he says, the general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time not to commit to the kind of life that would produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want and enjoy. And then his next line was his key to me. We intend to do what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it a reality. All right? Think about that when it comes to you wanting to work out or lose weight or get better financially sound. We intend what is right. Most of us have good intentions, but we avoid the life that makes it a reality. All right? Daniel Coons has run marathons before. It wasn't just an intention. It was an intention backed up by a pattern of life that enabled him to run a marathon. I could, I could get up tomorrow morning and say, I'm going to run a marathon tomorrow. I intend to do that. But if I haven't trained to do that, I will not be successful. Not even after the first mile. I wouldn't even make it a mile. So we all understand it, but in the spiritual world, it works the same way. You can have good intentions. Yes, I want to be the kind of person that does what Jesus says I can do. I want to be able to forgive my neighbors. And for some reason, we tend to think it must just be some kind of a magical zappo that God does on us. And if I can't forgive my enemies, it's either my fault or God's fault for not zapping me with the magic spell that makes me a kind person. And I used the example last week of the Clark Kent going into the phone booth. We think God just kind of changes us. Well, what changes in us is the access we have to be able to hear the Holy Spirit, but we still have a role to play in putting ourselves in those situations where God can change us. So then I'll get to the next word, and then we'll look at the passage today. This is a phrase I used last week, but you'll hear me use it a lot, that we have to be actively passive. And here's my analogy. I'll use a different one that I used last week. I've got an artificial knee and an artificial hip. So my knees bother me, it's bothering me, it bothering me. I have a couple options. I can either think, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit at home, and maybe it'll get better on its own. Well, I've already been told the doctor, no, it won't get better on its own. Or I think, uh, I'll just wait till the doctor comes make a house call unannounced. Well, of course that's not going to happen. Or I can think, I'll take care of it myself. I read up on surgery, I figure out how to do it, and I think I can do it myself. Of course we don't do that. But what we do is, I have to be very active, contacting the doctor's office, have an appointment, get an x-ray, get an MRI. I'm active in all those things. I'm active, I have to schedule the appointment, I have to get in my car the day of the appointment, I have to drive to the doctor's office the day of the appointment. I have to take all the medicines they tell me to take. I'm very active. I get to the doctor's office. I lay on the, or the operating center. I lay on the operating table, and that's an active thing. I have to get on the table. They give me the IV. I have to actively take that. But at that point, I become absolutely passive because the doctor then does his work. But I have to be active in getting myself in a place where the doctor can do his work. So you see the analogy there. I have to be active in doing things that puts me in the place where the Holy Spirit can do his work. Not that the Holy Spirit can't do his work anywhere, but we kind of know from how the Bible unpacks things in the life Jesus lived that we do have a responsibility to be active in putting ourselves in that place. Christianity is not a passive thing. You don't just, wait, you don't just sit in your chair until the Holy Spirit zappos you. It doesn't happen that way. But nor do we have to do it ourselves. That's what we call legalism. It's, so that's why I've used this phrase, actively passive. So it's a combination of both. So 
in light of that, here's the, 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 the practice for the day is this. We're going to practice remember. And you might think that's, that's bad grammar. I know that. It should be remembering. I just like it better this way. All right, I'll choose my own grammar today. So some weeks we'll be practicing fasting. We'll talk about practicing prayer or Bible reading. Today it's practice remember. All right? And there's a reason, and I'll tell you how. I'll, I'll give you every week we'll have a specific thing you can do that might help you practice that particular habit that puts you in a place where the Holy Spirit may have access to your ears in a way that he wouldn't otherwise. So to do this, we're going to look at Joshua chapter 4. And to start off with, I'll have just, just a history of, the, of that part of the Bible. God's people had just come out of uh, Egypt. They were enslaved by the Egyptians for a number of years. You can kind of read the Bible as to how they got to that point. They went through all of uh, Sinai Desert and going to Promised Land. It took them longer than necessary because of some significant sin issues among them. But now, after all that God did, he did some supernatural deliverance from Egypt with some of the plagues. Supernatural sustained them in the desert with manna and quail and water in supernatural ways. So God did some supernatural things to bring deliverance and rescue to his people. Now they're at the cusp of heading right into the promised land. They're getting ready to cross the river into the promised land. So they've seen all this stuff God has done, and now they have a new challenge in front of them. They're about ready to cross the Jordan River. Joshua is now the leader. Moses has died. But let me just read then uh, it's from Joshua chapter 4. And again, the, the discipline today is practice, remember. All right? So Joshua 4. When all the people... Good. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take twelve stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. Go to the next slide. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, Go into the middle of the Jordan, in front of the ark of the Lord your God. God. Each of you must pick up one stone, and the river gets supernaturally separated. That's how they can do that. They're not swimming. You pick one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. Next slide. In the future, your children will ask you, and they build this memorial in a town called Gilgal, right on the other side of the river. They build this monument of 12 stones, and if each guy had to carry it out on his shoulder, they were probably good-sized stones. Your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. So it was a tangible way that they could remember not just the crossing of the Jordan, but how much God had done to get them there. Then the chapter ends, I kind of skip ahead. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. Now read this last verse out loud with me because this is, again, this is what they're supposed to remember. All right? This is what they're supposed to remember. This is why they're building them more out loud with me. He did this so that all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. It's a reminder that the Lord's hand is powerful. It wasn't just nostalgia. Oh, this is kind of nice what God did for us. No, it's a reminder from the past that gives us hope for the future. Because if it's just looking back and saying all these great things God did, period, 
then that's not the kind of remembering the Bible's telling us to have. It's for looking back, seeing what God did in certain ways where you saw his hand at work, and that becomes the spiritual fuel for your hope in the future into situations where you're going to need God's hand of deliverance again and again and again and again. So here's a question I ask, I'll ask you. When have you experienced a strong hand of God's deliverance and her faithfulness in your life? You might immediately come up with some situations. I can come up with places and people and names. The name Jerry Root is a name that would be a stone of remembrance for me. Somebody had influence in my life. Uh, February of 1987 was a significant time in my life where I saw the hand of God's deliverance. I could talk about a small village near Vienna, Austria, where God did significant things in and through my life. They were all stones of remembrance for me, so when I'm hitting new challenges or new frustrations or new temptation to be hopeless, I can look back and I can say, no, I know God's faithful. I know he's powerful to deliver me through and from things that I think I'm never going to get around. So you might have, I'm hoping we all have some of those, and they may not be, you may not have a bunch of them, but you have enough that it becomes, yeah, that is a stone of remembrance for me. And what God's telling Joshua is, don't just talk about it, remember it. Do something, in this case, physical, where you pile these all up. They built one at the town outside the river, and, and the, uh, the rest of the text also says Joshua actually built a 12-stone memorial in the center of the river while it was dry. So even the water washed over, it must have been big enough that you could see. So there are two different 12-stone memorials that were simply to remind them and their children, what does this mean? Well, it reminds us the Lord's hand is powerful. And you, can, you should fear him your whole life. Not be afraid of him, but fear and be in awe of the power he can have in your life. But the remembering was about deliverance and rescue and God's faithfulness. That's what they were remembering. And it wasn't, again, like I said, it wasn't just looking back and saying, oh, that was so nice he did that. It was looking back, which gives you spiritual energy to look forward and say, he'll, he'll do it again. God will do that again in my life. So that's just, I'll, I'll throw that as a question. What's, and again, some of you may think of things, and toward the end, I'll give you a chance to kind of practice this, and it won't be goofy. You'll understand. We'll do it in a second. So now let's jump ahead to the New Testament because you'll know when we do communion, and these are, really, these are related kind of passages in ways we don't always think about it. A lot of times in churches in front of the communion table, we'll say, do this in remembrance of me. And Jesus is asking us to remember something, right? Remember this, remember, remember. And again, it's like I said, our memories can be kind of odd in certain ways, but he says to remember this. So it says, this is from 1 Corinthians 11. So Paul, a leader in the early church, is writing this to the church in Corinth. They maybe got out of focus or got off, off key on this. And this is what he said, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, read this with me out loud, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. Now stop on this slide for a second, because the question we ask is, what are we supposed to remember? Oh, how he looked, how he talked, you know, how his hair looked, how tall he was, what he said, how he healed. What, is, what are we supposed to remember? I mean, he's not, it's not just, oh, I need to remember the past. 
do this in remembrance of me. And you know in the Gospels, when they, often when that story is told, Jesus says the same thing. Do this when you eat this bread and you drink this cup. Remember me. All right? Now let's finish this passage. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. So again, Jesus is saying, remember me. And again, the question, and we'll talk about this, what are we supposed to remember? And then Paul gives us a little bit of a clue here helps us out. Read this with me, verse 26. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Now, does Paul mean every time we eat the bread and drink the cup, we're saying, oh yeah, Jesus died. Let's sit down and go home. Every time we eat it. Oh, he died, yes, and it was a brutal death. It was horrible. He was tortured, and it was most likely your fault. Is that what we're supposed to remember? Is Jesus wanting to remember the process of his death or the purpose of his death? Because the process of his death was quite gruesome. And yes, it's a reflection of our need for a, a, a redeemer and a savior. And it's a reflection, we need to be self-reflective about our own sin issues. But sometimes what communion has become is it can become almost like morbid I, had, I, I still remember a time when somebody told me, well, I can't take communion this week because I had a bad week. Well, I know this person. They were a good person. I don't know if they meant they fought with their husband or what, but it was like, what? but we had this sense of it's something we're, we, we should have earned. But when Jesus says, every time you eat this, or when Paul is saying this now, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. When you take communion as a remembrance it's no different than the stones piled outside the Jordan River from Joshua. No, you are announcing that the Lord delivers, the Lord heals, the Lord's faithful, the Lord is good, and that all comes out of what he accomplished when he died. So you're not simply announcing, yes, Jesus died, and yes, he rose again. Yes, that's great news, but you're announcing it, that's true in your life. That I'm saying, every time I take this, I'm not simply saying, yes, Jesus died. I'm saying he died, but because his death, Jesus has power, he has victory, he delivers me, he has delivered me. He's faithful, he's always been faithful to me, and he's incredibly good to me because these are the results of what he accomplished when he died and was resurrected. He defeated the powers of darkness. So we're announcing it even to them. We're announcing to the visible and the invisible world, no, I'm going to remember, I'm not just remembering something, event that happened in the past, I'm remembering how that event has impact on me now to boldly go into the future and become the kind of person God wants me. Just like the stones of remembrance with the Jordan River. It's not just, oh, nostalgia, remember how God did that for us. It's also, and remember that he can do that again for us. Remember how God rescued me from slavery to a certain sin in my past, and I know he can do it again. Remember how God provided for me when I didn't think I had the finances to do what I think God wanted me to do. Now I know that God will do it again if he asks me to do something that's going to challenge or stretch my finances. You understand what I'm saying there? So it's, it's just kind of this, we're not just remembering, the, the Hebrew and the biblical times of remembering was you look back for the confidence and the faith to go forward. 
And it's always, that's always the sense of, so when we're supposed to remember, when we remember this, we're not just, I do say this every week, it's a ritual. We do it every week. If you're new here, we do it every week. And it's a ritual, but it's only a bad ritual if we've lost its meaning. If the meaning simply is, I do this, somehow maybe I earn a couple points with God when I do this, or something magical happens when I do this, and I might, just in case, almost like a rabbit's foot. I'm not saying any of you think that, but we've all thought things like that sometimes. But then it's like, no, when we take the bread and take the cup, it's a practicing of remembering, and you're remembering maybe times in your life where the death of Jesus and his victory over the powers of sin have became real to you. And you're proclaiming that to everybody else here in this room. You're proclaiming it to the invisible world. That no, I believe not only that he died and was resurrected, but his power has been, is, and will be real in my life to deliver me, to bring me hope, to rescue me, to provide for me in ways I never thought he could provide, like the wilderness manna and the quail. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to actually... pass these out. Maybe somebody can help me pass. Everybody gets a card. And again, this is not anything goofy. Don't, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Nobody's, we're not going to stand up and cluck like a chicken or anything. You all have a pen on your chair. And uh, Aaron, why don't you come on up? Where'd Aaron go? There he is. And maybe just play right now. Uh, some, here's what I want you to do. Uh, and we're, I'm not going to ask you to share these. I mean, it will, but nobody has to do anything. Uh, Aaron's just going to play a little bit on his guitar, just have some uh, music. I want you to, this is for you, you're not turning these in, they're not being graded, I could tell a class. I want you to just write down, I put out here, I want you to think of, if you can think of three, three stones of remembrance, three places, people, or time periods in my life that remind me of God's goodness, faithfulness, and, and or deliverance. So, Take about a minute or two and just see what comes to mind when you think, you know what, I know God was active in my life then. It could be a name of a person, it could be a place, it could just be a period of time in your life. So take about a minute or so and just to jot something down. Again, you're not sharing these, I'm not going to force anybody to share them at least. Could be the time you were baptized, the place you were baptized. Might even be just a passage of scripture that you know had a significant impact on your life at one time. Give another 30 seconds or so. Again, if you can't think of three, you're not going to lose points or anything. Okay, so what we're going to do... Uh, we can do these things when we have a smaller group, which is good. 
Aaron's going to keep playing. And I'm going to ask just some of you as you feel led, just to say out loud one thing that you wrote down. I mean, you might say it may be something as simple as 1987, or you might say, you know, John Smith. We don't need to know the story. But in doing so, what you're doing is you're proclaiming the death of Jesus until he comes again. You're proclaiming that his death, you're remembering his death and his resurrection had an effect in my life through this person, in this situation, and this phase of my life. Does that make sense? So let's do that. And if it's quiet for a while, that's fine. Uh, but just say it loud enough so others can hear it. If two people are talking at the same time, not a big deal. God knows what's going on, all right? So again, just proclaim, whether it's the date, a person, or a place, uh, or whatever you wrote down, just briefly, and then, uh, and then we'll take communion. We'll actually do what we're saying we've been doing, all right? So we'll, if it's quiet for a while, it's quiet. Otherwise, just feel free to say it out loud. You can keep playing though, Aaron.
God while some who maybe who would be looking on might describe this as simply nostalgia or warm fuzzy moments uh, we believe everything that's been proclaimed here are times where we know that it was your activity and the power unleashed by the cross and the resurrection that brought healing to us in these moments provision to us in those moments power to us in those moments forgiveness to us in those moments mercy in those moments encouragement in those moments and we believe that was all brought on because your spirit was at work not just coincidence not just of our own making up not self-fulfilling prophecies we believe there are moments that were generated by the power of Jesus death and resurrection that is now made available to all of us so even now God as we take this cup and this bread at your exhortation to remember uh, would we remember would even bring the even this week would you bring to mind some of us things we've forgotten when we know you were active in our lives and may may it bring a fresh uh, a fresh douse of of hope and and energy and faith that you're going to do you can do what you said you can do, and you will always do what you say you do. Will we always trust that? You'll take care of us. You'll bring wholeness to us. You'll deliver us from evil. You'll deliver us from sin. You do those things. So I don't know what everybody's story is today or whatever, what all of us are facing. We don't know what any of us are going to face next week. But we know that your spirit goes with us. And as we proclaim your death in the taking of communion today, may it be just, again, a reminder to us, and may we remember your incredible power and provision for us in the past, knowing that you'll do it again in the future, because that's who you are. That's your character. And we thank you for that, and ask this all in your name. Amen. Um, when we take communion, we do it every week at Exodus, like I said, and, and uh, we do it primarily to remind ourselves that it is the work of Jesus inside of us. That's why we call ourselves Christians. It's not a, this is not a morality club, a political club, or even a religious knowledge club. It's a, it's a group of people who are empowered by an invisible power of Jesus, his Holy Spirit, that was made available to us through the resurrection. So when we take this, it's gratitude. That's why some traditions, they call it the Eucharist. Eucharist is kind of a form of the Greek word for thanksgiving. So it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thanksgiving kind of thing. Thank you for what you've done, not just in your death, but how that death has been fleshed out in the power and provision of my life. But thank you also for what I know you're going to do because I know who you are. So again, I don't know what you're facing. Maybe you, when you take this, you're going to remember some things that God's done with gratitude. And maybe you're going to also remember and think about what you're facing now with confidence that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. He always does. So here's how we do it.